Well, I invite you this morning, if you would, to open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1. And this morning, I want to pay tribute to our moms and bring a message I've entitled, The High Calling of Christian Motherhood. Well, certainly this morning on this day, it's a day we traditionally set aside as Mother's Day. And I want to honor our mothers by reminding the church of the high calling of Christian motherhood. We should know, beloved, that in the sight of God, motherhood is one of the most noble, important, and meaningful callings that a woman could have. It's much holier and a much more blessed thing than most people realize. And I would say this, that motherhood is nothing less than a divine assignment. A godly mother provides a solid foundation for her children, a foundation upon which her children can stand so as to live righteously and obediently before Almighty God. And we know that godly mothers do a great service for the kingdom of Christ. I know of no calling which so uniquely combines routine and demanding tasks with the most meaningful opportunities. In his book on how to raise your children for Christ, Andrew Murray has this to say. He said, how sacred that every mother who would offer her body as the temple of the Holy Ghost should be holy. That in her, the very first beginnings of life may be overshadowed by the Holy Ghost. And so we see that a godly mother has the awesome task and privilege of nurturing her children, steering them to become vessels of God so as to be used to proclaim his gospel and to further the kingdom work through him. And this is a daunting and a very formidable responsibility. And I would say that there is no career which requires more preparation, more skill, more concentration of energies, and more commitment than motherhood. Motherhood is, in every sense, a total commitment. It requires a woman to invest her life in the lives of her children. And no one should appreciate this more than fathers. And fathers, let me ask you, how many of you have had to watch your children for just one hour in your wife's absence? It gives new meaning to the word eternity, doesn't it? How many of you were traumatized by the whole experience? I'm still in therapy for this. How many of you remember when your wife left you with the kids for the whole entire day? We really understand what a mom goes through, and we soon realize, don't we, how indebted we really are to our wives. All of us are indebted to godly mothers. And again, no one else has as much opportunity to mold minds and to nurture bodies, develop potential godliness in another human being. A godly mother, in every sense, links hand in hand with her creator in bearing and preparing the next generation to love and to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. So it should come to no surprise to us, beloved, that the Bible has a lot to say about godly mothers. We read about women like Mary and Elizabeth, Sarah, Hannah, mothers who surrendered to the Lord in every way. And so this morning, we're going to turn our attention towards two women in the Bible of particular prominence, Lois, the mother of Eunice, and Eunice, the mother of Timothy. And if there were ever two women who manifested the high calling of Christian motherhood, it would be Lois and Eunice. So as we examine their lives, we want to joyfully contemplate three characteristics of a godly mother. And I want to tell you, as I tell my counselees when I'm counseling a husband and wife, when we're talking about a wife, I always tell the husband he needs to pay careful attention. And when we're talking to wives, the husbands need to pay careful attention, the wives as well. 
because this is something we all should appreciate, something we all should know. So husbands and other men in our church, this is a very important aspect of Scripture, and I hope that you learn it well and that it helps you to serve not only our ladies, but the Lord Jesus Christ. So before we get started, I just want to give you a little background. 2 Timothy was written about A.D. 66 or 67, and you remember that five years or six years earlier, Paul had been imprisoned in Rome under house arrest, and during that time, he was free to have visitors and to teach and preach, and we see this recorded in Acts chapter 28, verses 30 and 31, and there we read, and he, that is Paul, stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness, unhindered. So in this initial imprisonment, Paul had a lot of freedom. He had a lot of ability to talk, to preach. But by the time of this epistle, by the time of 2 Timothy, Paul was now in chains. He was suffering in a Roman prison. He was treated like a common criminal. He was confined in a dank stone dungeon with little light to read or write by. There was no sanitation and there was no prospect of him being released except through death. And worse yet, Paul had the added burden of being abandoned, we're told, by everyone except for Onesiphorus and from Luke. And from the tone of Paul's writing, we see that Paul was concerned at this time about the spiritual resolve of Timothy and the church at Ephesus. And this is what John MacArthur has to say about that. He says, it seems that Paul may have had reason to fear that Timothy was in danger of weakening spiritually. This would have been a grave concern for Paul since Timothy needed to carry on Paul's work. This concern is evident, for example, in Paul's exhortation to, number one, stir up his gift, which we see in verse 6, to replace fear with power, love, and a sound mind, verse 7, to not be ashamed of Paul in the Lord, but willingly suffer for the gospel, verse 8, and to hold on to truth, verses 13 and 14. MacArthur says, summing up the potential problem of Timothy, who might be weakening under the pressure of the church and the persecution of the world. So we see that there was a lot of pressure on young Timothy, and Paul understood this very acutely. Timothy, who was Paul's literal son in the faith, had become perhaps a little less effective. He was maybe weaker in his resolve uh, from what was written in 1 Timothy. And so for Paul, this was a very concerning thing. And this situation, along with the abandonment of most of Paul's friends, made Paul's longing to see Timothy all the more agonizing, all the more urgent. And we understand this because Paul was about to pass the mantle of his ministry to his son in the faith. And so in this epistle, beloved, he urges Timothy to persevere in strength and in faithfulness, because he was afraid that Timothy might be prone to waver. And this is why Paul gave the following reminders in 2 Timothy 1.7. He said, God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. He goes on in 2 Timothy 1.13 to say this, that Timothy was to retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. 
Now, why is this important for us to know? Because it's within this context that Paul reminds Timothy of two very special women in his life, his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice, two women who were stalwarts in the faith. They were resolved in their efforts to nurture and mentor young Timothy in the truth of the gospel. So in Lois and Eunice, we really can see the high calling of Christian motherhood. And through Paul's remembrance of these two godly women, he joyfully brings out three characteristics of what a godly mother looks like. So let's begin, and we begin in 2 Timothy 1.5. And we see here the first characteristic of a godly mother is that a godly mother makes her faith contagious to her children. She makes her faith contagious to her children. Look with me, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. Paul writes, For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. Now this is one verse, beloved, but this is a very powerful verse. And here's what I want you to see. Of all the admirable characteristics that Timothy had, there was one that stood out to Paul over and above the rest, and that was his faithfulness. And notice that Paul begins this verse by affirming the sincere faith that he had seen in Timothy. Notice he doesn't just say, I see faith in you, Timothy. He says, I see a sincere faith in you. This is very significant because the Greek word for sincere here literally means unhypocritical, not hypocritical so as to be real. I see something in you that is genuine. I see something in you, Timothy, that is incredibly sincere. And of course, we know that the object of Timothy's faith was the gospel of Jesus Christ. Timothy had embraced the gospel sincerely. There was no pretense. There was no deceit in his faith. And so Paul recognizes this, but Paul doesn't stop there. He gives credit where credit is really due, and he reminds Timothy that his sincere faith didn't come to him by accident. It wasn't squeezed into his mind. It wasn't squeezed into his heart through osmosis. His faith, Paul reminds him, came to him through a godly heritage. It came to him through the dedicated faith of his grandmother and his mother, Lois and Eunice. And it was the faith that dwelt in these two wonderful women that Timothy readily observed all of his life. Now, Paul's reference to Lois and Eunice suggests that he most certainly knew these two women. I think they must have been very close with the Apostle Paul. And it is very probable that both of these women may have been led to Christ during Paul's first missionary journey, because on that journey, it took Paul and Barnabas through Timothy's home in Galatia. This is recorded for us in Acts chapter 13 and Acts chapter 14. So these two godly ladies were Jewish believers, of course, under the old covenant. For years, Lois imparted her faith to her daughter Eunice, probably reading Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, which spoke to her that the righteous will live by faith. And we know that the righteous have always lived by faith. So the Old Testament clearly pointed this out, beloved, that, and we see that these women believed God's word. And listen, this was not just a head faith. This was not something that they read and said, yes, this is nice. This was a heart faith. This was a living faith. When they heard the gospel... They received it. They internalized it with great joy. They came to saving faith in Christ. 
Now we know that by the time of Paul's second missionary journey, these godly women had led Timothy to the Lord. And we know from Scripture of the power of his grandmother and his mother's contagious faith. During Paul's second missionary journey, we read in Acts chapter 16, verse 2, that he, that is Timothy, was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. So in reality, Timothy was Paul's indirect son in the faith because he had come to believe through the witness of his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice, both who had been led to the Lord earlier. And I would say, beloved, what a godly and joyful example these two women provide in light of their contagious faith. That from the time that they took Timothy into their arms and nurtured him, they lived out what they believed. They began rooting the principles of the faith in young Timothy's heart. In fact, his very name, Timothy, means one who honors God. Now, I want to stop here for a minute because I want us to think of the importance in this day and age of having a contagious faith. How many of you have been around people that you just can't keep quiet? They just bubble over and just everything they talk about is the Lord. Anybody know people like that? It's fantastic, isn't it? There are those who really encourage us in the faith, those who were around and who just seem to ignite a passion. I know many times I have gone to people like that when I haven't been feeling so great myself, and you leave with a glow, amen? Because they're just so encouraging. And I can imagine these two women being like that with Timothy, that these women had a faith that was contagious. They had a faith that just wouldn't stop. And I think the influence of Lois and Eunice becomes all the more appreciated when we realize from Acts chapter 16 verse 3 that Timothy had a father who was an unbelieving Gentile. In fact, the scriptures tell us that he was a Greek. Now, it's more than likely that by the time Paul arrived on the scene that Timothy's father was dead. But I want you to consider something here because we don't often think about the importance of this. This is the kind of a thing we read in Scripture and we just kind of skip over. Like it's there, but it's just kind of superfluous. But I think we need to really think about this. Because Timothy had both a Jewish mother and a Greek father, think about this. Timothy had access to both cultures. Okay, no doubt Timothy's father to some extent attempted to influence him in the ways of Greek culture. He wasn't a believer. How many of you grew up with an unbelieving parent? Anybody here? You don't have to raise your hand if you don't want. And how many times maybe did you hear a parent that would just try to steer you away from the faith or would just literally try to convince you of the rightness of secular humanism? Listen, if you have an unbelieving parent, it's only right to assume that to some extent there would be an influence on you, right? There would be some kind of an influence on you, and no doubt, Timothy's father, to some extent, attempted to influence him in the ways of Greek culture. And here's my point. It would have been very easy for Lois and Eunice to kind of back off a bit, to maybe say, to rationalize, well, you know, I mean, we, we have to expect that there might be some pagan influence on Timothy. I mean, after all, his father is a Greek, I mean, it's unavoidable. Yeah, maybe you and I ought to just take a back seat for a time and, and maybe we should try to temper our influence a bit. But I'll tell you what, there is no evidence in Scripture that Lois or Eunice ever wavered. You know, we can be polite, we can be respectful, but we never compromise the faith. And we always speak the truth in love. Amen? Amen. 
to our children. We never want to be deceitful that way. And there was no indication that they wavered. They were godly in their actions. They were relentless in their resolve to impart their faith to Timothy. And I think for our moms here today, you know, we get some valuable insight from these two women. First of all, moms, I want you to realize the tremendous influence that you have over your children when you make your faith contagious to them. While Scripture teaches us that the husband is certainly to be the spiritual head of the home, we cannot for one second underestimate the power and the influence of a godly mother. Because moms, most likely you spend more time with your children than anyone else. And in the early formative years, your children are gleaning so much of their morals and their values from you. And I want to encourage our moms here to stay faithful in that. Listen, have a contagious faith in front of your children. Proverbs 22, verse 6, admonishes us to train up a child in the way that he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And of course, in that portrait of a virtuous woman in Proverbs 31, we read that the strength and dignity are her clothing. She opens her mouth in wisdom and that her children rise up and bless her. Second, I know some of our moms here may have unbelieving husbands. And I know that can be difficult. And moms, I want to encourage you here too. Maybe you're tempted just to give up or you grow weary of the fight. That it seems like everything you try to impart to your children may get countered and it may seem like an uphill battle. Listen, do not be discouraged and do not be defeated. Your faith before God will never, ever go unnoticed. Never. Paul says this very thing in 1 Corinthians 7.14. He says there, For the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife. And the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband, for otherwise, your children are unclean, but now, Paul says, they are holy. I want you to realize, moms, that your salvation has a sanctifying effect on both your husband and your children. The spiritual blessings from God are not confined to immediate recipients, they're extended to the whole family. And if it were not so, Paul says your children be, would be unclean. Now what does that mean? Well, this word relates to ceremonial uncleanliness. And this is an uncleanliness that would prohibit a person from being brought into contact with the Lord. And therefore, Paul uses the axiom that the children of a believer are holy. And this literally implies that the one believing parent exposes her children to the blessings and the protection of God. They are protected from undue spiritual harm. And that often leads to the very salvation of their souls. And so there is no fear then, listen, that a child will be unclean or defiled by an unbelieving parent. Listen, if you're a believing parent and you're alone, you sanctify the home. Praise God. What a wonderful truth. So moms, listen, your children are open to receive spiritual blessings through you. So my charge to you would to be consistent. Make your faith contagious. Well, that brings us to a second characteristic of a godly mother. In addition to 
making her faith contagious to her children, a godly mother also teaches God's Word with conviction to her children. She also teaches God's Word with conviction to her children. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul continues to exhort Timothy to be faithful to the Word of God. And in 2 Timothy 3, Paul warns Timothy about evil men, about imposters, who would seek to influence the church. And he says not only would they be self-deceived, but they would attempt to deceive many other people. In 2 Timothy 3.13, we read this, But evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And it's within this context that Paul brings to Timothy's mind all that he had learned about the faith. So it's as if Paul is saying, look, Timothy, I want you to understand exactly what you're getting into here in the church, and I don't want you to go in weak, and I don't want you to go in unconvicted. I want you to remember what you already know. And he brings this out in chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Let's look there. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Paul says, you, that is Timothy, you, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Now, in these verses, we see another dimension, really, of Timothy's spiritual heritage, He had obviously been reared in a family where God's word was loved. It was taught in principle as well as in practice. Timothy was sure of God's truth. And I really think that the richness of this verse is is really overpowering here. Notice that Paul tells Timothy to continue in the things you have learned. Now, in the Greek, this word learn carries the connotation of intentional learning. It is learning by inquiring. It is learning by observation. So the learning is described here and defined here in the Greek as a very focused learning. Okay, this isn't that, oh, I I learned that the building is closed at 5 o'clock today. This is a learning that is purposeful, that is honed in on the Scriptures. It means that Timothy had become a disciple. He was a man who intentionally sought to learn the Word of God. He wasn't a passive learner. He was an active learner. And why was this? Because he was convinced of the truth. He was convicted by the truth. And to be convinced is to be fixed and firm in your belief. And it means, beloved, that your beliefs are not negotiable. They are not up for grabs. Paul recognized this in Timothy, and that's what made Timothy such a hopeful prospect for effective soldiering, as he had to defend the truth of the gospel. But I think we miss the richness of this verse altogether if we fail to realize why this came about. It came about because from childhood, Timothy had known the sacred writings. He knew the scriptures because he had been taught by Lois and Eunice, two women who themselves had great conviction of the truth. Timothy also had been taught by the Apostle Paul. And so Paul is reminding Timothy to remember from, and here's the word, whom you learned the Scriptures. Whom is a plural pronoun. 
And Paul is saying, hey, look, Timothy, I don't want you to just look to me. It is the whom you learn from. Me, Lois, Eunice, all of us built into your life so that you would focus on the Word of God and learn it. So Paul is drawing attention towards several teachers, not only himself, but Lois and Eunice. And think about how this comes about. You know, Lois and Eunice show us that when you teach God's Word with conviction, and when you combine that with contagious faith, God can use you in a powerful way to build convictions in others as well. You know, the worst thing that you can show your children is a wishy-washy faith. Amen? That is more damning than outright heresy. We got to be very careful about our convictions. And mom and dads, listen, if you want to convince your children that your faith is ultimate truth, then you begin by teaching the Word of God to your children. You convince them that you believe it and that you will not compromise on it. And then you live out the Word before them as literally a living sacrifice. And that, listen, that gives credibility to both your walk and also to your words. Let me tell you, when you are consistent in your faith, it teaches your children that you can be trusted, that you say what you mean and you mean what you say. And obviously this is tempered with massive amounts of love. But when you walk according to the Lord, that is a powerful conviction, not only to them, but also into your testimony. It teaches your children that they can accept your authority over them. It shows your children the consistency of your faith. Especially in your teaching of the Word of God. You know, no doubt Lois and Eunice followed much Old Testament instruction. I think of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7, when the Lord told Moses, And you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. And this is what Lois and Eunice did from Timothy's earliest childhood. They saturated him with the word of God. And think of the effort that they must have expended. And we want to ask, well, do you think it was worth it? What do you think? Absolutely. But there's another aspect to this. I want you to think of God's commandment to Joshua. We find it in Joshua 1.8. When we read, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Why did God warn Joshua to do this? Because he was a leader. He was to lead Israel back into the land. And God said, if you're going to have success, Joshua, my name needs to be preeminent. My word needs to be known. My word needs to be obeyed. And so Joshua taught God's word and he lived it out before the people of Israel. But here's how it connects with us. Listen, moms and dads, you are leaders in your home. God has trusted you with little children or minds that you are molding. And you both do paternal and maternal mentoring. And like Joshua, God has entrusted you with little ones who need to hear scriptural truth and they need to see in you an example of how that's lived out. 
And therefore, one of your most important tasks, I believe, is to teach God's Word with conviction to your children. You know, I ache for so many parents here. Parenting is not easy. Amen? I could list more of my failures, I think, than I could list my successes. But I ache for many parents here because it's a question we need to ask ourselves. Am I so obsessed with the secondary distractions of life concerning my children that I am missing what they need most from me? Right from birth, parents worry about their kids, don't they? Will they be talented enough? Will they be smart enough? Will they be athletic enough, educated enough, wealthy enough? Parents invest thousands of hours of time involving their kids in athletics and plays and music lessons and hobbies in preparing them for college and ultimately life. And those are not bad things. But the question is this. How much time are we setting aside to bring the Word of God to our children? Do they know as much about the Bible as they do the latest video games? Ouch. Are we teaching our children what's really important? Are we teaching them that other things are much more important to us than the Word of God? How important are the Scriptures to you? Listen, if we, beloved, live in such a way as to devalue the Word of God in our own lives, it is unreasonable to think that our children will value it in theirs. So let me challenge you here, moms and dads. Wear out the Scriptures with your children. Wear them out. Teach them every day. Teach them by reading to them. Teach them by letting them read to you. I love that part. Teach them by helping them to memorize Scripture. Teach them by giving them biblical lessons from everyday experiences in life. Do you realize that every time you're outside with your children, anywhere you are, you are in the classroom of life with your kids? Unfortunately, here's how it often works. Daddy, did you see that man in the store? He just stole a bottle of ketchup and he put it in his coat. And our response is, well, let's go tell the manager. What should be our response? What's wrong with that? Why is that a problem for you? What does God think about that? Every time we're with our children, we are in the classroom of life and we teach them. And we show the conviction we have. And we make the word a priority. Listen, beloved, give your children footsteps to follow. Godly mothers understand their priorities with their children. And they understand if their children are to successfully learn spiritual convictions and hold them as their own, it is necessary for them to clearly teach the word of God and to live it out before them with great conviction. A godly mother is never dissuaded from teaching God's word with conviction to her children. And I know we have many moms that do that here. That brings us to a third characteristic of a godly mother. Not only does she make her faith contagious, 
Not only does she teach God's word with conviction, but a godly mother also tells her children of their need to commit to the gospel of Jesus Christ. She tells them of their need to commit to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 15 with me again. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. Paul writes again to Timothy, And that from childhood, Timothy, you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you wisdom. Notice, that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Now, it is consistent with New Testament teaching that God desires children of believers to be believers too. We want our kids to come to saving faith. Amen? We all want that, don't we? We all want that. In fact, the very purpose of godly parents in the parental covenant between believers and their children is to exhort parents to train children to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our desire. Now, in Titus chapter 1, we read that Paul left Titus in Crete, and he went to appoint elders there. And in verse 6, Paul set the standards for the kind of men that he was looking for. And here's what he said. If any man be above reproach, the husband of one wife, notice this, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion. Now, there have been many who have attempted to water down this verse by saying, well, this, this just kind of simply refers to children who are well-behaved or who can basically be trusted or eh, who have a little bit of, you know, good intentions in their life. But we can't get around this. The Greek verb here for believe is always used of people whom the context identifies as believers. Now, let me give you a caveat here. This verse is certainly not a guarantee that all believers will produce believing children. There are many, many godly parents who have poured the gospel into their children and have not seen salvation come. So in no way am I implying that that's always going to be the case. It's not a guarantee that believers will produce believing children, but... In context, Paul is saying that children who do not believe, children who are known for their dissipation and rebellion, can be a distraction at times to the credibility of a leader. But that's not my point. My real point is my secondary point, and it's this, that a parent's concern to bring his children to a saving knowledge of Christ by presenting the gospel is consistent with what we're to do, and it is consistently taught both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. In other words, what I'm saying is the most important aspect of teaching our children the Word of God is to bring them to salvation, which is found only through Jesus Christ our Lord. Notice that Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3 at the end of verse 15 that the sacred writings gave Timothy wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So the goal, mom and dads, is not just to share the gospel, not just to say, listen, I want you to understand what this, this idea of salvation is all about. Listen, I want you to understand you've got to do something with this. The Greek word for wisdom here denotes a wisdom given to specific individuals in order to equip them to live godly lives. So this wisdom is the intelligence and the understanding that comes when a person applies the truth of the gospel to his or her life. 
I fear that there are many parents that are just content with, well, my kids have, have heard the gospel. Well, have you, have you urged the importance of a commitment to Christ? Well, you know, I'm just waiting for, you know, sometime. You see, the result of Lois and Eunice's efforts in teaching Timothy the Word of God was that it gave him godly wisdom, which ultimately led to his salvation. That's what they labored for with young Timothy. And they used the Old Testament to tell Timothy of a holy God who has a holy standard. They told him about fallen man who is sinful and about man's inability to reach God on his own. And they told him of the need for a blood sacrifice for the atonement of sin. And they told him about the sacrificial system of the Mosaic law that with all of its structure, it is unable to provide permanent atonement for sin. And they no doubt told him of the hope that he could have in the Messiah, the one great glorious final sacrifice who would take away sins once and for all. Listen, Christ's presence is pervasive throughout the Old Testament, and the Old Testament can lead to salvation. And the sacred writings did indeed lead Timothy to salvation. But he was led by the godly influence of his mother and grandmother to commit to Christ and to give his life over to the Christ of the Scriptures. So do you see what Paul is saying here? Timothy wasn't saved because he read or knew the Old Testament Scriptures. This is the thing. The Old Testament gave Timothy wisdom leading to salvation, but salvation came when he placed his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It was his commitment to place his faith and trust in Christ that saved him. And I have no doubt that immediately after Paul presented the gospel to Lois and Eunice, they believed. And that they immediately shared the gospel with Timothy with a strong exhortation to commit. You know, this may sound obvious to some of you. It's like, well, Pastor Jack, yeah, you know, I mean, I get that. You know, I, I'm tracking with you so far, but... Listen, I, I think that parents often miss the mark here. You know, children are brought to church. They're brought to Sunday school. They're brought to Awana. They're brought to youth group. And some parents have this expectation that it is the church's duty to lead them to Christ. One mother informed me once, she said, well, you know, since my children were in a Christian home and, and since they're exposed to church, I'm sure they'll eventually hear the gospel. Yikes! Do you want to leave that to chance? Listen, they will hear the gospel here. Do you want to leave that to chance? Listen, it is the parents who have the greatest obligation and primary responsibility to share the gospel with their children. And part of giving, beloved, our children the wisdom that leads to salvation is to share the gospel with them and exhort them to commit to Christ. Don't stop with the intellectual information. I remember, well, I'll get there later. You know, I didn't come from a Christian home. Far from it. But I had a Eunice in my life. I had a godly aunt who loved me enough at 16 years old to sit down and share the gospel with me. 
And she used God's word to show me that salvation only comes when one commits in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I will tell you, at that point in my life, I knew nothing about the Bible. I couldn't tell you Genesis from Revelation. But when she got done talking to me, it was like a bolt of lightning went from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. And while I didn't know too much theology, I knew I was a sinner, and I knew I was in trouble, and I knew I needed to commit to the Lord Jesus Christ. I knew that the information alone wasn't enough. Well, thank you. I know that. Listen, there's no easy believism about the gospel. Amen? We've got to do something with it. We've got to repent. We've got to believe by faith. And I am forever grateful to her for showing me her love for Christ and Christ's love for me and a testimony that was lived out right before my eyes and she said, that's the life that you want to follow. Parents, that's our opportunity. Her life matched her words. She was a living testimony of what it meant to walk in the way of salvation, what it meant to commit one's life to Christ. Now, I want to be very clear here. We have incredibly wonderful godly mothers in this church. Incredibly godly women in this church. And it is a privilege to have you women in our church. And I want to say personally how deeply grateful I am. Not only for all of you moms who are doing your very best to bring your children to Christ, but to all of our women, every woman here. And you know, maybe you're not married, and maybe you're not a mom, and maybe you feel like, like Joel said, maybe this is a, a Saturday for you. Don't let this be a sad day. If you are serving the Lord, God is smiling upon you. And God will not forget what you're doing for Him. This is a day for all of our women to rejoice. I am very grateful you know, you all, there's too many to name, but the, the women of our church have such a godly influence on so many, in so many different areas of ministry. You know, I'm here on Thursdays when the women's Bible study meets, and oftentimes I spy on them. You know, because like I want to know if they're preaching heresy or something. No. So I spy on them, you know, and I, and I stand over around the corners, you know, and I kind of listen and... <laughs> Usually I hear, man, that'll preach. I got to write that down. I'm going to plagiarize that, you know. It's, it's wonderful, the ladies in our church. I'm telling you. And I'm very grateful. You know, to all of you, thank you for making your faith contagious to your children. Thank you for teaching God's word with conviction. Thank you for responding to your children to commit to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know... I realize that the responsibility of motherhood requires and demands that you have to do a thousand other things all day long. You know, I remember when our children were little, waking up, and I remember watching my wife take care of our kids, and it wasn't even 7 o'clock in the morning, and I was exhausted just watching her. And I remember getting in my truck saying, oh, thank you, Lord, that I can go to work. You know, because, because of all the work that I watched her do. And I know, moms, that oftentimes you're unrecognized, oftentimes you're unappreciated, you're unaided in the role that God has given you, but He sees and He will never forget you. Never. 
He sees your faithfulness every single day. So to the rest of us, I just want to give you a quick following charge. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, listen, you need to be doing all you can to help your wives. Too many of us are selfish and self-centered. Amen? Men, amen, right? Listen, we need to be aware of how we can help our wives and how we can come alongside of them. Men, don't be aloof. Help your wives as much as you can. Sacrifice for your wife in every way. Esteem her higher than yourself. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. Children here. If you disobey your parents, young people, you are disobeying God. You know, we live in an age where respect and obedience is almost a foreign concept. And that shouldn't be. Young people, when you think of your mother, you need to honor your mother. You need to honor her with your attitude. You need to have a joyful attitude, a willingness to respect and be obedient to your mother because that shows your appreciation for her love and care to you and it also shows God your respect for him. Not negotiable, young people. Listen, God will honor that if you do that. So it's my prayer that as we affirm the high calling of Christian motherhood, we make every day Mother's Day by reciprocating the love and appreciation that our wives and mothers have so freely given to us. Let's pray. Well, Father, we give you thanks for the gift of motherly love. Lord, we know it's a love that at times is gentle, sometimes fierce, sometimes strong and humble, sometimes and usually always kind and true. And Father, I pray for all of our moms here and dads, all of our parents, that we pray that you would grant them peace and patience and wisdom as they raise their children. I pray that in those tedious and difficult and thankless hours that each mom labors for you in raising her children, that she would remember that before you, Lord, nothing goes unnoticed, that her labor is not in vain. I thank you, Lord, for all of our mothers, for all of the ladies in our church who deserve our utmost respect. We praise you for their faithfulness in both the things that we see them do and in the things, the many things we don't see them do. And God, I pray that you would use this high calling in each one of them to bring you honor and glory for the fame of your name. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.